0: Hello and welcome to the one one hundred and six of a second photography podcast. I say every episode, I'm not going out, I'm not doing photography, but I am planning to do some recordings on what I've been doing more recently. I have been doing something, but it's certainly not back up to the levels that I used to be engaging in photography. So I'm still looking back while I'm getting those episodes recorded and I'm looking back and one of my favorite episodes that I did Well, I say fairly recently it wasn't right at the start maybe it's in sort of the halfway mark is an episode I did with Peter episode 72 about photographing in a war zone photographers in a war zone so I talked to Peter in this episode who was in the Falklands conflict and took a camera with him I was alive when the Falklands conflict was taking place but I was a very young child so it's something I've learned about and I suppose been interested in more as an adult, and I really enjoyed talking to Peter in episode seventy-two. So here we are, episode seventy-two. Hello, and welcome to the one one hundred sixty of a second photography podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Peter, and what's really interesting about Peter. Is he's taken some images in a war zone so peter would you just like to introduce yourself hello
1: my name is peter blackman i'm now a semi-retired professional photographer.
0: So Peter we're talking about images taken in a war that was some time ago. Can you just set the scene, the political landscape, why there was this war, when it happened because some of our listeners won't have even been born when it happened.
1: These were pictures that were taken in the Falklands conflict in period April, May, June 1982. At that time Argentina which has always had a claim to the Falkland Islands although I think if you read the history it's not quite clear why Argentina should have the claim. But even so, at the time, Argentina was ruled by a military junta headed by a general Galtieri. Um, This this was not a popular uh, government in any way. Um, There were massive economic failures and if you disagreed with the government, you were likely to vanish sometime during the night. And as a way of diverting the population's attention, Galtieri decided he would invade the Falkland Islands. Falkland Islands are Thank you. the cat don't know 400 miles to the east of Argentina a group of two large islands and a lot of little ones and had been British since about 1833 population lived largely on agriculture and a little bit of fishing but Argentina had always claimed this land anyway he decided to invade at the end of March the UK responded by sending a task force at amazingly short notice like about five days to recover the islands at the time I was was second in command of an independent flight of two aircraft two seeking mark twos three crews which were 12 people and about 30 or so maintainers engineering staff and other support staff and the role of the flight was to embark on support ships generally to add additional capability to those ships and to the units that the ship was working with uh, we had just returned the flight from a couple of months away at the end of March and on the Friday, which I think was probably the first or second of April, we were sent to four hours notice to embark. And we embarked on the uh, fourth and sailed on the fifth of April. Took about three weeks to get down there. We were working with the task group and our role was to do as tasked which was either anti-submarine patrol, um, surface searching, looking for um, any kind of ships or whatever uh, and also helicopter delivery service around the task group uh, as we were asked to do. Not only was I the 2IC of the flight I was also the tactical leader being the senior person in that field and I was also the operations officer. So in addition to doing my flying bits I was also doing what you might call the operational admin. The pictures that I put up were a selection of those I took on the way down south during the task group periods in out in the exclusion zone that was established. And also for a short period, at the beginning of June, we were sent to supplement the landing force by helping to unload equipment of the reinforcing army group which was five brigade after that we then were sent down to take part in the recovery of um, south thule which is a tiny little island about 600 miles to the south of south georgia where the argentines had established an illegal weather station Uh, so that basis and the background of um, these pictures
0: If you don't mind, I'd like to add a bit more context because this was some time ago and I I just want to sort of provide a bit of context for our listeners who maybe weren't around at that time. I myself was a child and have no memory of it because I was such a young child at that age but in Britain Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister at the time who retrospectively and maybe at the time has been described as a bit of an iron lady. This podcast is not about politics or anything like that it's about photography but I just want to give a bit of a context and background to it. When Argentina invaded the Falklands there was much debate about what would happen some thought we wouldn't do anything about it and Margaret Thatcher responded and what's very interesting about this war was it was completely Britain on its own all other wars that have happened recently even going back to the world wars have always been a coalition of allies in this regard Britain went on its own Britain sent its fleet down to the Falklands Britain did some bombing runs the famous Vulcan bombers and completely took the war on its own which has not done since there was some controversial decisions made the sinking of the Belgrado was was one that comes to mind but it was a very unique episode in British history so when I saw the pictures you'd put up Peter I was I was very interested and of course not only was it a different era with a conflict on the other side of the world but it was also a different era in photography you were using film then digital did not exist when did you get time to take some images
1: I think what is most unusual about the Falklands conflict is that it was in a place that no one expected to fight. 1980 was still in the Cold War. The British Army of the Rhine was focused entirely on repelling a Soviet invasion. All of the strategic aims, if you like, of the UK armed forces was focused on the Warsaw Pact. The equipment and the tactics uh, were all aimed at the Warsaw Pact. So it was a bit of a surprise when what you might call a secondary role uh, appeared to go down south. I think also there were political reasons why it was uh, something that Britain did alone. Although there were no joint forces, there was certainly support from the US and from other NATO nations who, in the background, helped out in some way or other. Perhaps the most obvious is supply of exocet homing information from the French to help us defeat those missiles, because Argentina had bought five before the war started. Um, Once the war started, further supply was stopped. But even so, there was information supplied by France to help us defeat those missiles
0: they were particularly dangerous because they could be fired from an aeroplane and take down a ship. As you
1: say, no particular joint force activity, but certainly support from the NATO nations, and particular America, who were very supportive in the background. As far as the UN was concerned, yes, there was action, but the Argentines were not particularly interested in negotiating, and it was quite clear that things were not going to happen very quickly. Equally, you should be aware that it was actually Admiral Fieldhouse who was the first sea lord who persuaded Margaret Thatcher that a task force could be got together very quickly and very effectively. That proved to be the case. This is not something that could be done today. There simply aren't enough forces around. At the time, Margaret Thatcher being the kind of person that, that she is, she took it as an affront to the to the UK that this had occurred. Uh, and most importantly, the Falklanders themselves did not want to be associated with Argentina at all. And that is still the case to today. This was a
0: case of freeing British people. How did you get to take images? Was this in your downtime? Did you just walk around with a camera? Talk me through how you got the chance to take some images.
1: Some of the pictures were taken in periods when I wasn't particularly engaged in operations of one kind or another. The jobs that I had, I I was very busy, but there are always moments, 10, 15 minutes here and there, where you can snatch a picture, particularly when you're on board a ship. The shots from the air, they were just snatched as and when I had time, depending upon what was happening at the moment. I was the aircraft captain, so I was (laughs) very busy, very engaged in what was happening, but sometimes there were moments, again, two or three minutes, when we just happened to be in the right place and I could grab a picture. It was a case of hopping out of my seat in the back, opening the back door, taking a picture and hopping back in. And sometimes I had 10 minutes and sometimes I had one minute, but it just depended upon the circumstances.
0: What was the environment with taking pictures? Was it something everyone did? Was it something that was discouraged? Was it an open secret? What was the feeling of taking photographs?
1: Nothing was said. There weren't that many people taking images, unlike today when you see all the head camera stuff from Afghanistan and so on and, and other conflicts. That was not the circumstances. People generally didn't take pictures, not because it was frowned upon, but it just wasn't it just wasn't considered that much, if at all, and nothing was ever said to me about taking pictures.
0: Now, you used film, and for those people who haven't used film, you need to be fairly careful with it because it's sensitive to light. And then once you've taken your images, you need to store it without any light getting on it, and then you need to develop it. Did you just wait till you got back to the UK to develop it, or did you develop it while you were away?
1: I used a mix of Kodachrome 25, which is a slide film. Ektachrome 64, again another slide film, and various black and white films that I happened to grab as I left. Codachrome 25, 25 stands for the ISO, so you realize that it's a very, very low ISO setting, as is in fact Ektachrome 64. But a Kodachrome 25 gave a magnificent reproduction, but it needed specialist processing, so... That had to be sent away to Kodak to be done. Uh, Ektachrome 64 could be done by yourself if you wanted to get into that, but I never bothered so I also sent that away. But I did process my own black and white film uh, and I did that when I got back after the conflict. There was no time or space to have the equipment around to process.
0: I've developed my own film, and I've developed negatives, but I've never developed slide film, which is a positive film. I understand that is much more tricky, and it's not much more fragile, but it's much more difficult to get the correct exposure, isn't it? it doesn't have so much latitude slide film.
1: I had to control my urge to snap away because I didn't have much film. I think I had about eight rolls of 36 exposures and then I had some black and white but so I couldn't I couldn't snap away when you process color film uh, negatives if you're careful it's no problem but transparencies a you have to get the exposure right and a lot of professional photographers at the time would would do exposure bracketing to make sure they got it right because it was quite obvious when it was wrong processing color transparency you have to be spot on with your temperature values and so on, and your timing. Ectochrome 64 could be done quite easily. It's just having the right chemicals and, and making sure that you were precise and accurate in your temperature control and so on. Uh, and black and white, of course, was again, very similar, but there was a bit of latitude in it.
0: So going into a war zone, you, I'm, I'm guessing, did you just pick things up there in your house because there was a lack of time? Or did, did you plan to use slide film because Probably going into a war zone, going into the unknown. If I was a film photographer, I'd certainly take negatives for that that extra latitude at the end.
1: Yes, yeah, so I had I time. I would have. I had literally just unpacked from being away for two two months. As I say, on the Friday morning, we were told to get going, and we did over the weekend. So I had to go home and pack. I grabbed what I had. I had no. I just picked up all the rolls of film I had on the way to embarking, Mike. The ship was in Plymouth, so we actually flew from my base at Cold Rose to Plymouth. I was allowed to go in to my cousin's wedding, who was a Royal Marine at the time, and his wedding had been brought forward because he was going to embark too. So on the Sunday, my wife was able to drive me up via the wedding, and I then joined the ship from ashore. So it was a case of grabbing what I could, and then I had no opportunity to get any more.
0: I thought that would be the case, that it was grabbing what you could rather than Preferentially choosing those films a while ago. We're sort, sort, sort of talking over ten years ago, I think. I was at home playing on my Xbox, the first, not the first Xbox, the second Xbox, the 360, and the doorbell went. And it was my friend at the door, and he'd just come back from Afghanistan. And obviously, oh, hello, how are you? Wasn't expecting to see you. And he got out of his bag a a portable hard disk and said, Oh look, I've come back from Afghanistan. These were all the pictures I took. So we plugged it into the Xbox. And we looked through them and he just had a very simple point and shoot. They were all taken on automatic. He was able to, in his downtime, copy them using a computer onto a hard disk. So he had two copies. And we sort of sat and and went through these photos for, for over an hour just talking about his time in Afghanistan. He was fine and stuff and it wasn't too hairy from from what he was saying but he was infantry that sort of brings to home how much things have changed how you would have had eight rolls of film at 36 exposures per film he could always take another image if it didn't come out right he could check it while he was there he could back it up times have really moved on from film photography haven't they
1: I obviously now use digital cameras. Whilst you still have that carefulness about taking images, you you don't—you know—you try not to waste the image. Of course, it doesn't matter anymore, so so you can be a lot freer. And of course, the instant response, the opportunity to review them and redo them, and so on. Although, when you're under this kind of pressure, if you're not there working as a photographer, you probably wouldn't necessarily have the time to stop and have a look, see did that come out well you know unless it was in a quiet period
0: so let's talk about the gear you used so you're going out on the helicopters or you're walking around on your ship you're going to grab your bag with your camera in talk me through what that camera was what and what lenses you had and what other equipment you had with you
1: i had always been keen on photography and i've been in the navy at this stage probably 10 years or more and i refined what i had to fit with the lifestyle of moving around a lot so i ended up with two canon ae1 slrs and these were shutter priority cameras i couldn't afford the next level up to get both shutter and aperture priority so because i was shooting action stuff i chose shutter priority i limited myself to as few lenses as i could get away with so i ended up with a 28 to 80 f2 8, zoomed by a company called Kiron, uh, which is no longer around, I don't think. And then I had a Sigma 70 to 250 f4, f5, something like that. And then um, a very, very cheap 400mm, no idea what the aperture was, to help me with the longer shots, because at sea, of course, don't necessarily get very close. Uh, and that was all in a very simple little shoulder bag. I had some, some filters, generally polarizing and uh, UV protection filters, And that was it. I didn't have a flash gun and it was all very portable, very convenient. Sling it over your shoulder, run around with it. So no problem. That's all I had.
0: Talk me through how you would take the images, particularly up in the helicopter. So you're far away from from the subject you're taking a photo of, be it a ship, a landscape. You've got a very low ISO film. How do you get good usable images or how did you get good usable images?
1: Well, you have to cope with the ISO, whatever it happens to be. A helicopter has a vibration, so what you need to do is isolate yourself from the airframe as much as you can. Of course, when you open the back door, you don't want to fall out. So you have a harness called a dispatcher harness that buckle around your waist and hook that onto a strong point, And you make sure that it's, you can't fall out the door with it. So it's okay to open the back door. And then what you do is brace yourself as best you can to try and stop the vibration affecting what's going on. So that's the reason that I chose a shutter priority camera so I could have a high shutter speed. Of course, that sometimes affected the aperture that was attainable. If we talk about some of the shots I took down in South Thule, they came out as almost opaque because I was just stretching everything to its extreme. So, as much as I could, I was aware of the aperture, but generally speaking, I set the shutter speed so at least i at least i get a, a a sharp image even if i didn't have particularly accurate
0: apertures so this is 37 years ago and for those people who are old enough there's not going to be any image stabilization in your camera or in your lenses if you want to raise your shutter speed you can't just raise your iso because you'd have to take your film out and change it and peter's iso was all at 25 or some 25 some 64 so he had to stick with his iso using your canon eight was it ae1 yeah correct ae1 using your canon ae1 you, let's say you set a shutter speed of 1 250th of a second and it couldn't get make the aperture wide enough to get a good exposure. How would it tell you that? Would it just beep or have a red LED?
1: I don't know if the camera beeped. I'm not sure that it beeped. I think it just flashed somehow. There was no LCD display or anything like that. So it might well have been something in the viewfinder. When you're in a circumstance as I was, generally speaking, if I was deliberately taking a picture, uh, it wouldn't be in difficult lighting circumstances. When I say deliberately, that is not shooting from the back of the aircraft. So if I was on the ship, I was taking a photograph of another ship or something close by, then I would have time to think about it. And I could take the picture in, in the best lighting that was available in that period. In the aircraft, That was a grab, basically, and I ended up not bothering about the camera not being able to take the picture perfectly. I wanted the picture, and I wanted it to be sharp, even if it was dull. And so, not necessarily the best photographic technique, but you let the camera get on with it, basically, and you accept what you get. Uh, These were not for publication, of course, at the time, or anything like that. They were just my personal memories. So... Sometimes I think you tolerate less than perfect pictures.
0: Well, I would say, particularly in, in a war zone, an imperfect picture is better than no picture being taken at all, isn't it? Uh,
1: absolutely correct, of course, yeah.
0: So I'm just looking at your images now, and this, this is in no way criticism, but they some of them are quite grainy, which is to be expected with film photography. But I'm surprised about how grainy some of them are considering what low ISO film you're using. Why did some of them come out quite grainy, do you think?
1: Well, I don't think it's necessarily film grain. I think it's to do with the scanning. Ektachrome, oh, sorry, Kodachrome is particularly difficult to scan. i found, uh, I've been scanning for about a year or so now, and I do find, as you say, this graininess is quite apparent in some pictures. I'm not clear why. I, I do experiment to a degree with it, but I can't seem... To get get rid of the grain as much as as i would like when you consider that transparency is an amazingly high resolution image to end up as i do with this grain is is perplexing
0: so i'm just going to talk about the images now peter i'm i'm going to describe them because obviously in a podcast, you can't see things. You can only hear things. So the first one I'm looking at is you've titled it Crippled Argentine Submarine. You can see in the foreground, what looks like very cold water with ice on the top, a submarine peeking out of the top, although you can't see the bottom of the vessel. And in the background are some some hills with snow on, could be mountains, I don't know, and a small little town. The landscape is sort of covered in snow. Just talk to me about that image, please.
1: This is Gritviken in South Georgia. Gritviken was a whaling station until it was abandoned, I'm not quite sure when, but long before, I think, the the conflict in the Falklands. The submarine is the Santa Fe that dropped off the original invading force of South Georgia which was, and the submarine was discovered on the surface by the UK task group that had sent to recover South Georgia The submarine was attacked, one helicopter dropped depth charges which damaged it Another helicopter fired a missile that went through the Finn, Conning Tower, and the submarine couldn't dive anymore. It was sailed into Gritwick Harbour, and when the UK completed the reacquisition of South Georgia, the submarine was eventually towed out to sea and sunk, because it was useless. This image has had a monstrous amount of work, because it was seriously overexposed, given that all the the snow around so i've done quite a lot of work to get it to the stage that you can actually see the detail and uh, you can see the hole in the conning tower just forward of the raised periscope so let's
0: move on to the next image so that image was clearly taken from from the air and this image looks like it's taken from the air and we can see a runway and a taxiing area for aircraft i can see four what look like tornadoes, and I can see two helicopters together that look, I don't know, look like sea kings. I'm, I'm not an expert, but I'm sure you can tell me what the helicopters are. Talk to me about that image, please, Peter.
1: This is uh, something that would not have been seen by people at the time. This is a forward operating base, a temporary operating base for, for the Harriers and a refuelling area for helicopters. There's um, temporary runway planking laid down and in a form of a long, as long a runway as they can get, plus two circles at one end for aircraft to land and then reposition ready to take off. In the background are two Sea Harriers and in the foreground are two RAF GR3s. And you can see hoses running out to the aircraft where they're being refueled. In the foreground, to the centre and to the left, there is a Wessex 5 on the ground refueling and a Seeking Mark IV, which is a commando helicopter, landing to refuel. And you can see the hoses running out to them. And to the extreme right in the foreground, you can just see the fuel bladders supplying the aircraft. And this is taken by my aircraft, which is in the queue. To get refueled.
0: So our next image, again, it's it looks like a snowy image, it's very grainy, it looks like wind is blowing snow everywhere. We've got someone down the front, they look like they're carrying guns and equipment. We've got a helicopter, we've got a bit of vignetting, maybe it's shot through a window. And I wouldn't blame you if you didn't have the door open in this weather. It's a very atmospheric image, Peter.
1: I didn't see what this image was until I scanned this slide. It was black, basically. This was taken as the last of the troops left my aircraft on South Thule. And the weather conditions changed just as we took off to become absolutely dreadful. A driving wind sort of 40 knots or so or more cloud down to the ground and so when we got onto the ground the troops all ran out these are royal marine commandos and you can just see the last of them leaving the aircraft and the snow is from it's a combination of the wind and also the downdraft from uh, the helicopter
0: i was going to say is it kicking up snow from the ground yeah it is yes Was there anything else you wanted to say about that image?
1: The thing that amazes me is that there's any detail there at all. This is in the background. You can just make out the, the buildings from the illegal Argentine weather station.
0: So our next image is on a lovely sunny day up in the helicopter again. It looks like perhaps you've shot through the window. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. And it's just of what looks like two British ships side by side. Although I can't tell that they're British, but I'm guessing they are.
1: This is a shot of actually three ships replenishing, and in the background you can see some land, and that is South Georgia. The distance, although it doesn't look very far, it's actually about 12 to 15 miles away. It just illustrates the complete lack of pollution in that part of the world and the three ships if you look in the center of the group of ships you can just see a little mast sticking up with a flat bit and that is the mast of a little frigate which is on the far side a tanker in the front in the middle is a stores support ship and frigate is on the far side. And that re- that replenishment is to provide stores for the trip down to South Thule. The tanker embarked a company of Royal Marines and they basically needed extra grub. They got that from the storeship. And that's, that's a replenishment at sea and it's a regular thing that's done in the Navy.
0: The Falklands were very southerly, weren't they? They're towards the bottom end of South America. It's not a very well-inhabited area, is it? So it must be a beautiful location, but also quite a hostile location.
1: It is beautiful. I, I didn't have a lot of time, and I never got. I, I didn't go back, as quite a lot of people did to after the war, when uh, there was a strong element of force down there. Lots of folks did go back and had a chance to look around. South Georgia is quite magnificent scenery, but as you say, it's an incredibly hostile environment to work in. The sea is cold. It's basically below south of all land. So consequently, the wind and the water, the waves just move around the world and you get sudden changes of weather. The previous slide showed you that With as we took off, it went from being a beautiful sunny day to dreadful so i mean you know horizontal snow and so on and so it it is a very hostile place to be and if you read the history of the recovery of of south georgia you'll know that helicopters crashed on the glacier when they were delivering the sas because of such strong gusts of wind so yep tricky place to be but very very beautiful and in a non-combat situation A wonderful place for photography, endless opportunity for wildlife, great photographs, but during conflict a little bit more difficult.
0: I'm going to skip this one. I'm going to come back to it because speaking of weather, this is quite harrowing, this image. So again, just describing to our listeners, it's clear this has been taken from the air because you can see part of the helicopter. You can see a big ship. It looks like a cruise ship, and I know that cruise ships were commandeered to take troops down. I can see a helicopter in the foreground as well above the above the ship.
1: What you have is the SS Canberra, which was a cruise ship taken up for trade. Behind the shed, a very large helicopter platform was, was built. What you see is an aircraft delivering an underslung load to that platform. Uh, behind it are a number of support ships. You can see a, a red hull over to the right-hand side. I'm not sure which ship it is, but that's... Again, a commercial ship taken up from trade. And then the land, well, it, it's rather like a gentle version of some Scottish locks down that way. What you see, this great white line of cloud, is exactly that very low-level cloud, or maybe even fog, just on the hilltops. And then, of course, it's overcast. That cloud is the reason that we couldn't do the first job we were sent to do down there, which was to reposition the rapier batteries. That's the anti-aircraft missile batteries, because the cloud <laughs> prevented us getting to them.
0: This last image is my favourite. So it's at sea, you're obviously in the sky again, and there's a ship. I know for people in the Navy, I shouldn't say boats and ship interchangeably, because I know they're different things. And we can see against the sun, there's a helicopter. So just talk us through that image, Peter.
1: This is another grab shot. And actually, this is in San Carlos Bay with the landing force. I think this is the SS Elk, which was a container ship or a cargo ship, a a, a ferry ship. I'm not quite sure, but it had a lot of ammunition. This was sunset and we were load lifting ammunition ashore. And I just happened to see, whilst we were in the queue to go and get our load, our other flight aircraft was turning into the sun, and it just was a grab shot for that picture. I just, I just liked the shot, the opportunity, and um, and it came out quite well.
0: It came out lovely, Peter. Well done. You obviously took film images in that era, and obviously to share them now, you've had to digitise them. Talk me through your scanning workflow and any editing you've had to do after scanning?
1: I have um, a Nikon CoolScan LS5000 scanner, which is a negative transparency scanner, 35mm. I don't believe it's available these days, but I did buy it some time ago with the intention of scanning my pictures in due course. Uh, The software that I use, the original software from, from the Nikon no longer works in Windows. It's that old. But there is something called ViewScan, a very, very good scanner. It will control any kind of scanner, whether it's a flatbed or, in this my case, a film scanner. I have been experimenting, trying to get a decent output, and, and I can tell you that the stories about scanning Kodachrome 25 being very difficult are quite accurate, particularly when you're trying to get the range of colors that you can get with Kodachrome 25. I have uh, some shots of sunset with a replenishment at sea of a ship alongside with some extraordinary colors reflected in the waves. I haven't been able to scan that to my satisfaction. Some of the images are damaged. I'm not quite sure what there is, some sort of growth on them. And so you end up with a picture that does require a great deal of post-processing. I use a selection, a wide selection of processing software. I obviously have Photoshop. I use Topaz plugins and Topaz software, which I find has an extraordinary degree of control. Topaz has just, in the last six months, bought out some artificial intelligence-driven software that achieves remarkable effects in terms of sharpening and noise reduction. I haven't been able to use those as much as I wanted to, just haven't had them in time, really. So there is more work to do, and I will probably reprocess these images as I get used to this new Topaz software. But some of it is just the regular use of Photoshop tools, tone curves, playing with those sorts of things. As I say, my noise reduction, I use, I use Topaz, which I find by far and away the best. But, but a lot of it is, I haven't, sometimes you pick up a lot of dust and dirt in the scanning. So you've got uh, that problem to solve, getting rid of those bits and pieces. It seems no matter how much you clean the slide, there's always dirt on it. And uh, the scanner picks that up. And there is undoubtedly a scanning setting compromise where you compromise the quality of the output against the time taken to do it. And also the amount of debris that you pick up when you scan. Uh, And I don't think I've got that quite right just yet. So I, I... sometimes take an hour per image if it's really bad. And the images, for example, from South Thule, the particularly dark ones, took ages to try and pull something out of them.
0: We've come to the end of our discussion, and I, I want to thank you. It's been a really interesting discussion and a really interesting look back at history. Where can listeners find your work online, Peter? Well, my
1: website is being redone, but it is peterbphotography, all one word, .co.uk.
0: Thank you. And you can of course click on that in the link below. So I just want to say thank you very much to Peter for appearing and thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.